Hey, business building warrior, welcome to Silent Sales Machine Radio. I'm your introduction host. I've got our once a week guest hosts popping on here in just a moment. Of course, I'm talking about Brian and Robin Joy Olson, two of the great coaching directors on our team. I'll share more about that in just a moment. A couple announcements first, real quick. Hey, if you haven't grabbed a copy of the book that launched this podcast, you know, we've got about 6 million downloads on iTunes alone at this point. This podcast has been rocking since 2016. Actually, the only income my family and I have earned for coming up on 20, actually, it's more than 20 years now, has been e-commerce. And there was a book that I wrote long time ago, 20 plus years ago, called Silent Sales Machine. Well, I've updated it multiple times. The latest update is completely free to you if you send a text to this phone number. Ready? 507-800-0090. That's the phone number if you live in North America. There's a link in the show notes. If you don't live in North America, you can get it by email as well from anywhere in the world. We'd love to get it into your hands completely free. It has over 1,100 five-star reviews on Amazon, the previous version, but I've updated it. It's ready for you. I'd love to get it into your hands. It's going to help you make a good decision about your e-commerce future, what opportunities are available to you, how is it that we've been able to generate hundreds of incredible podcast episodes on this very show from our successful students over the years, about 1,900 tagged success posts in our free Facebook group. There's a link to that at silentgym.com if you haven't been in there. How are we able to generate all those success stories and sustain for so many years? We've got the longest running e-commerce event in the world. Theprovenconference.com has details on that. It's in its 12th year. Well, the book reveals the secrets of our success. What are your next best steps for your business for your family, for you in e-commerce? Where does e-commerce fit into the picture? What models should you be considering based on your unique position, skills, education, background, knowledge, motivation? What's out there? Let's talk about it. That's the Silent Sales Machine book. That's what it's about, your success in e-commerce. So go grab your free copy. Enjoy going through the lessons. This is 20 plus years of wisdom, not just mine, But we've got a team of 100 of us, like I mentioned, Brian and Robin Joy, who I'll bring on in just a moment. They're a couple of the coaches, the great coaches on our team. They actually lead a team of coaches. We've got a handful of teams we've broke our 60 coaches into. All of our coaches are wildly successful doing the stuff we teach on this podcast, and they've got a teacher's heart. That's how we filled our coaching team. So I've learned from them. Those lessons are in this book. Go grab a copy. You'll love it silentsalesmachine.com has details on the book, but there's no need to pay for it. You can get it for free. Instructions are in the show notes today near this audio or video where you're listening to this on how to get a free copy. Well, hey, today's topic is about test-worthy ASINs on Amazon. You hear us talk all the time around here on this show, if you've listened for a while, that the secret to success on Amazon isn't about finding the right product finding profitable products, finding a good product. That's not what it's about, especially if you're new. The strategy is finding test-worthy ASINs, finding test-worthy listings on Amazon that you can go sell against with a reasonable expectation of having the worst-case scenario being break-even. Best-case scenario, hey, you've made some great profit. We teach you how to find those great test-worthy ASINs as the entry gate into much broader 
scope of possibilities on Amazon. There's dozens of ways to make money on Amazon, but the starting point for about 95% of all the students who come to us and buy the proven Amazon course, which is the starting point for the vast majority of the success stories in our community, that's where they started. That course, they started with the same module, which is one of the dozens of modules inside that course, which is called the replens model. And that's what we're talking about today. That's what the vast majority of our success stories that you've heard on this show are talking about at the beginning of their journey, the replens model, helping fill the underserved shelf space at Amazon, finding those underserved assets. How do you do it? Well, that's what we're going to dive in today with Brian and Robin Joy. Enjoy this episode. Hey, if you enjoy our feedback and you've never left us a review on iTunes or you've never subscribed, man, we love subscribers. That helps us spread the word. Did you know we have a $0 marketing budget? for this show. And when you subscribe or when you leave a review or when you send the link, silentgym.com link to a friend and an email, you're helping us spread the word. You're helping us keep our marketing budget at $0. We have very low price courses and content. And a lot of our stuff is completely free. We have many success stories from students who say they never bought anything from us. They just consumed our content. Hey, if you appreciate that and you've never left us a review or shared the link with someone, Please help us spread the word. Help us keep our marketing budget at $0. We love having it there. All right, let's jump into the content. Enjoy your time with Brian and Robin Joy Olson. Welcome back to Silent Sales Machine Radio. We are your co-hosts. I'm Brian. And I'm Robin Joy. And this is Coach's Corner. Hi, everybody. We recently did a workshop in Salt Lake City about two and a half weeks ago. Yeah. And mid-September. Uh, yeah, we worked with a group of people who had historically struggled to identify testworthy aces. Mm-hmm. It was mm-hmm. pretty, pretty awesome weekend, it, wasn't it? It? Was, it was a great workshop. We really, really enjoyed it. In fact, if anyone out there is interested in doing a workshop like that with us, we are going to do another one. If you go to provenamazoncourse.com slash 100, 100, the number's 100. There you can fill out a questionnaire and let us know where you'd like us to do the next workshop. We probably won't do it in Salt Lake City. Where should we do it? Let us know. Yeah. All right. So we talked to these people. We did so this, this was workshop. A, this was a two-day workshop. Uh-huh. And we spent the first half of the day mm-hmm. reviewing what we believe are the most, what we found yes. are the most important qualities in identifying a test for the ASIN. Right. Those things are. Those would be velocity. We want mm-hmm. fast. Sales speed, velocity. Sales velocity. Yeah. We want to be able to get in and out within 30 to 45 days. Mm-hmm. Capital protection. Yeah, we, we want to at least get our money back, even if it doesn't work out. Right. We want to have some evidence of that. And we want to have evidence that it has been priced at the price we need it to be to make a profit on mm-hmm. it that we are looking for. Yeah. So those three things, we have three data points where you can go and look at those. And we've shared those before. Yep. But we get a lot of questions. Well, what was interesting is that after we covered that very yeah. thoroughly for about a half a day. Yes. Right. We cut, we discussed in detail all three points. Mm-hmm. And then we turned the group loose. And there yes. were about 20 people in attendance. Mm-hmm. Okay. And we turned them loose on sourcing a list of about 300 ASINs. Right. Okay. And we just demonstrated how we go through and do sourcing. Very, you know, doesn't we don't spend that much time on it. Right. If it we doesn't don't. jump off the page at us. We're not digging around for right, it. Right, because we're looking to test as many aces as we possibly can. Right. 
Right. right. So within one hour, what happened? There were like 20 different ASINs that people found off of this one list mm-hmm. combined, yeah. about 20 different ASINs that were test worthy based on these three three items. So and that math, we could test them. That math checks out. We usually say like about an hour per test worthy ASIN right. at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And so they were kind of working in groups, mm-hmm. but more so individually too, mm-hmm. right? And but helping each other out. So that part was cool. So everyone sourced about the same number of ASINs. Right. And everyone found about one. If you did uh, the law of averages there, there are 20 people. Mm-hmm. We found about 20 in the course of one hour. Right. This was finding finding a supplier and everything. Yeah. So we found a supplier and we and we found listings that that met our criteria. Those for three the three-step check for those three data points. Right. Right. Okay. And then we got to the end of that and everyone was like, wow, that's that's pretty cool. That yeah. seems pretty easy. Yeah. Like, what are we missing here? Is there something that we're missing? Mm-hmm. And the, it, it's hard for it to be that easy when, yeah. when we know that it's a struggle in the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's hard to to let ourselves say, okay, we can, we can test this. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the reasons that we put together the three-step check and the four-week test. And have confidence in, in your decision-making, right. right? So you do the three-step check. Mm-hmm. You find a reliable source mm-hmm. and off you go. Now it's right. trustworthy and it's just a test. We're not it's just a test. We're not buying 25 units of anything. No, right? We're testing small. Yeah. We want to see what's actually going to happen. Mm-hmm. We have some evidence, but we want to see what's actually going to happen, not just what has happened mm-hmm. and what will happen for us. It'll be different for different people in mm-hmm. different places. So at the end of that, um, you know. A little bit, not the end, but midway through the afternoon. Well, right. we got the question and we get this a lot, even we from do, our coaching we get clients. An awful lot. Mm-hmm. And it's a valid question, mm-hmm. but Which we're going to answer it today. Why aren't we concerned about offer count? Why aren't we concerned about We skip the offer count count and here's why. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's okay. talk about it first. What would the offer count give us? What would that tell us? If there's a certain number that's too many offers and we don't want to test it if it's too many offers, what would that give us? Let's say the number is 15. I don't want to test if the seller count or the offer count is mm-hmm. more than 15. Mm-hmm. Would that be a valid statement? I There's no way to know. I mean, we're talking about 15. 15 may or may not be enough uh, offers right. for the demand. Right. Right. Exactly. So there's a kind of a law of diminishing returns. When you go to figure out whether the offer count matters or not, you have to get a lot more information. And then you're still not really knowing for sure if it's going to matter or not. Yeah. So some of the things that you could find out, it's more complicated than just a number. Yes, exactly. I want to know how many of those offers are FBM offers Mm -hmm. that I probably wouldn't be competing if I were an FBA seller. Exactly. How many of those offers are are priced way higher than I need to be priced. Yep. Probably not really competing against them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? How many of those offers have one or two items in stock? Right. And they're going to be sold out matter. by the time by the time my there. stuff gets there, they're not even going to be around. Uh-huh. How about uh, how many of those offers are competitive? I guess you talked about that, right? Mm-hmm. Also, it doesn't really matter if my stock is closer to the shopper than right. your stock. That's right. And the only way that Amazon's going to show yeah. your offer to the customer who's closer to your stock. As long as I'm reasonably priced. I mean, if I'm not $20 over or $10, depending right. on what the item is. Middle of the right. pack, like yeah. Jim says. Right. Yeah, you're going to be okay. And the only way that I know where stuff is, is for my own stuff. I know right. what my what the end, the final destination of my uh, inventory is. We can't but I don't control know. it. We Amazon, don't, yeah. Amazon sends it where they want to, yeah. but we don't have any insight as to where the other stock is. So when we're looking 
at those sellers and we're looking at who's got the buy box, mm-hmm. for instance. We don't that's what it shows for us mm-hmm. here in Denver when we mm-hmm. buy it, but it might show something different to someone else. We've seen that happen frequently. Mm-hmm. Not only who's got the buy box, but whether there's a buy box or not. Well, exactly. this, we talked about this yes. at the conference, the, the multidimensional buy box. Yes. Okay. Okay. Let's don't get into that though. We're talking about offer count, whether it matters or not. And we can find more information about the Absolutely. offer count. You can go and get a ton of information about the offers, the amount of inventory those offers had yeah. historically. I mean, the prices, you can drown in data points you in can. just looking at offers. But Brian, it's just a test. It's just a test. I don't want to spend... 10 minutes trying to figure out whether the sellers matter or not. I don't want to have to dig into anything. I want those three points Mm -hmm. right on the front page. I don't have to dig in anywhere. It's a yes or no question. Moving on. That complicates it too much for me. So when I want to test, I want three yeses, yes, 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 then yes, test. If I have to complicate it in any way, something's ambiguous, then I'm pulling back what I've done by making testing simple. We'll get all this information. And we do sometimes use this information to go and find out why maybe a test didn't work out Mm -hmm. or what if there was anything changed since then, if we want to decide whether we're going to stay in the ASIN or not, then we might put a little more effort into it after we've tested it. But testing is the first step. We need to know more information about that ASIN. And there's, there is some justification once you've tested it. And mm-hmm. this is an item that you are going to regularly replenish. It goes on your replens list. Mm-hmm. That if you wanted to keep a month's worth of inventory in stock, there's some formula that you can probably work out and look it up in the Facebook group to mm-hmm. determine what that is based on the number of competitive offers and the amount of inventory and blah, 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 blah. And still, but, you'd have to test how much but, you but that, could sell in a month. Really, the reality is going to be what your experience is. Yes. And in the beginning, we don't need to know how many of these we can sell a month. We're no. just doing a test. It's just a test. Yeah. Let the test be a test. Yeah. Tests can go well. Tests can go not so well. We've protected our capital. We know we're going to be able to make a decision Mm -hmm. quickly because there's velocity there. Those are the important things. Find those ASINs and get them tested as many as you can because there's so much more value besides just building replants list. Mm -hmm. There's so much more value to testing. What does it do for us, Brian? It gives us It gives us the cycles, the understanding, the ability to recognize the patterns in the uh, different ACEs, in the different KIPA charts that we will need experience to understand. It gives us reps. gives us laps on the track. It gives us the number of plays, the number of whatever it is, the reps that we need. Exactly. And the simpler we keep that testing strategy, Mm -hmm. the easier it is to have someone else do that task for us. And yeah, this is just it. You're not going to get hurt. Right. We right. we put these parameters in place to ensure, I say ensure, there, there are, are no, no guarantees, guarantees. <laughs> <laughs> but to get to put all the evidence in our favor mm-hmm. so that, you know, when we are doing a test that, you know, we're going to come out of this um, unscathed. Right? right. And so that's why we we recommend to test more than one at a time. We actually mm-hmm. recommend to test five tests every week, mm-hmm. five tests every week, at least until you have about 100 ASINs or 10 to $15,000 a month in sales, because if one doesn't do well and you do lose money on it, maybe you'll lose a little bit on that trying to get out of it in time, that you'll have others that do make more money and make up for that. So you're still not losing and you're getting so much information. Yeah. 
And one of the biggest things is this whole ungating issue, which people are having a harder and harder time, I found, getting ungated, forcing the ungating with the invoice and all of that. But Amazon will lift those restrictions after you have some time in sales and consistency that Amazon will start lifting those uh, restrictions. And they don't know whether you made any money or not. You could have broken even the whole time for six months and all of a sudden all these restrictions are lifted. You have a whole new place to search now Mm -hmm. and you've only been in it for, you know, four or five months. Yeah. Right. And yeah, I mean, you bring up a good, a good point here around the, just getting the reps and, and breaking even getting the experience. I mean, in our experience, you're going to make money in this process too. Yes. But just a point of caution, like don't go buy 25, 40, or 75 units. Test small. Test small. There's so much that you don't know until you test. Now, that being said, yes, there's one exception to the offer count. There is one exception. That that I would say doesn't, I mean, when you see it, you'll know it right right off. And if you missed it, you'll probably be You'll never miss it again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you, (laughs) I'm not worried about people missing it. Uh If if you're testing more than one item at a time. But one one place, let's just tell tell where we do look if we see this one thing, yeah, and, and that's a that's a big spike. Offer count as a yeah, offer count as a number by itself doesn't mean anything. Offer count as a trend can mean a lot, and this is where we see a spike in offer count, and this is indicative of the demand is not keeping up with the supply. Right, and that is those are the ones you want to avoid. That's the classic, you know, V shaped. That comes in was like, oh, yeah, the, the price count. is going, putting pre- the offer counts going up, and the that's putting pressure on the price, price which the is price going, is going down. down. Yeah. Now, is this a bad thing? Is that ASIN never going to be a good ASIN again? Absolutely not. Not necessarily. It may have happened before. It's mm-hmm. only if it's happening now yes. that we even would we'll get say, concerned about it. Pump the brakes on that a little bit. Come back Hold and check back. on it in a few Come, weeks. Yeah. Check check in six weeks. Yeah. See if that hasn't leveled off. Mm-hmm. It may be a new normal, mm-hmm. but if it's found its normal and it's still test worthy, go ahead and test that. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. So, okay. All right. So that's why we don't put a whole lot of stock in offer count when we're testing. Yeah. When we're testing. Mm-hmm. When okay. we're making a testing decision. Yeah. Yes. So um, there, there are, are frequently questions about business operations um, yes. in the Facebook group. And I took a few minutes to outline a couple of different things I want to chat about today. Okay. One of them is your ASIN level expenses and your associated ASIN level profitability. And then there's your business level expenses and then your ultimate net profit for your business. Okay. Also, these are also a place of confusion at first when I have people in the kickstart a lot of times have these kind of questions. Yeah. And and, and not, not meaning to be overwhelming everything that Amazon charges you for, they give you a record of. And so it just kind of helps to know where to classify these things in your business. So we, I like to call them ASIN level expenses versus business level expenses. <laughs> ASIN level expenses, good examples of this. And I didn't, I'm not sure I've captured them all, but captured most of them here. First and foremost is going to be your cost of goods, <laughs> right? Right. What does it cost me to buy that item? That's usually your largest expense. Yes. Okay. Any supplies related to that item to prep it? So bubble wrap, poly bags, boxes, stickers, yeah. labels, yeah, I mean, whatever so, you want to count there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But or if you're using a prep center, whatever their per item right. fee is, that's also an ASIN level expense. Right. Your inbound transportation. I love to make sure that I'm accounting for inbound transportation at an ASIN level. So when you say inbound transportation, mm-hmm. you're talking about the transportation to get it from me or my prep center 
to, to Amazon's Amazon. warehouse. Yep. Okay. Yep. When when you first explained this to me before I was involved in the business, I was okay. very confused about what inbound, inbound transportation, transportation was. was. So that's yeah. why I want to clarify. And this could be if you were doing FBM, this is actually what you pay to send it to the customer, mm-hmm. not to send it to FBA. So you that's somewhat interchangeable as an as an sure. ASIN level expense. Okay. Then the second biggest chunk usually is the combination of referral and FBA fees. Right. The referral fee mm-hmm. is based on it's a percentage of the price mm-hmm. that you sell it for when yep. it sells. These these fees are charged at the time of sale. Yep. Right? Yep. Taken out of the proceeds. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the referral fee it's different for different categories, but it's a percentage of the sales price. And that's what we that's what we pay Amazon for the privilege of using the platform. Right? Exactly. Basically, they've done all gotten all the eyeballs mm-hmm. to the listings, they handle all of the um, customer service. Ca- yeah, customer service is handled in the FBA. Oh, FBA. Okay. Right. But they handle all of the mechanics of that. Sure. You know, they Give receive the all of the packages and they have the the platform on a servers and you know things like that. They, they the manage interface. all of that that information. So we pay a referral fee on the sales price. That's a percentage of the sale price. And then the FBA fee, like you said, is that covers. Amazon doing the customer service. If some customer has a problem, they want to call in, they're going to talk to Amazon. I don't have to talk to them. It all it, It's based on size and weight, basically because it covers also the transportation from Amazon's warehouse to the customer. So they base that fee on size and weight. Okay, moving, moving along. My but we God. digress. I might have gone too far deep into that, but all right. Then you'll also have uh, associated storage fees. And mm-hmm. Amazon will give you a report that says, here's how much you paid in storage for each ASIN every month. Mm-hmm. You can track that back or tag that back to the ASIN level expense. Mm-hmm. If you've got a pay-per-click campaign, so if you've got a five-cent, can- what we call a five-cent campaign, but really right. your, your lowest of the low-hanging fruit pay-per-click uh, yes. that generally performs very well for you, especially in Q4, not everybody has that. Not everybody needs that. Amazon didn't used to provide the level of detail that they do today. And you can look at this at your SKU level, your SKU economics. You can see the pay-per-click. Oh, there's uh, so much more information in that. Yeah, you get your inbound economics. transportation, your pay-per-click, mm-hmm. you know, your everything that's associated there. Mm-hmm. Returns and refunds plus any associated fees with those returns and refunds can also be attributed to an ASIN. So mm-hmm. if you're selling a pair of shoes that just keeps getting returned and returned and returned and resold and re- resold, then that is, you know, all the expenses associated with that return and reselling, you need to account for as sure. that ASIN. And there's also restocking fees when the customer returns it that Amazon's going to charge you for and refund administration that Amazon's going to charge you mm-hmm. for. So now these are all small pieces. They are pennies, right? I mean, it's just, this it's, it's yeah. not something we think about a lot when right, we're right, trying right. to do, but uh, ACE and level expenses. Mm-hmm. And then the final one that I had on the list here is any removal order fees. So if you sent it in, you sent in, let's say that you were past your test and you had sent in 20, you sold 15 and you ended up recalling five. Whatever the expenses were to recall those five needs to go at your ASIN level expense. Mm-hmm. Okay. After, okay. so you do the sale mm-hmm. and you subtract all your ASIN level expenses, you are left with the ASIN level profit or what we like to call a gross profit number. Okay. Okay. And all of your ASINs combined will keep adding to that gross profit pool. You'll have a mix, mm-hmm. a mix of different profits for different sales. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, if you're moving that, moving your price, the same item might have different profit. Uh, Absolutely. For different sales. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that gross profit number then goes to fund your other business level expenses. 
Yes. And whatever is left after your business level expenses is your profit. So some of those business okay. level expenses. So tell us about the business level expenses. What do we put there? Amazon subscription. So yes. this is your seller, your pro seller account, $39.99. It hits every month on the first. Ours just hit. So if you're <laughs> tracking your profitability on a daily basis, sometimes it doesn't look as good when you have a lot of inbound transportation, mm-hmm. your Amazon uh, subscription kicks in and all this, you know, these things, right. and you can have what looks to not be a great day. But overall in the month, right. right, it's profitable. Any other tools that you might have? So these are not suggestions for tools that you should go get. No, okay. we know plenty of people who use Keepa and Keepa alone. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who use Keepa and an on-page calculator, and that's the only tools they use. For, and they're, they have five-figure businesses mm-hmm. easily. Yep. So we're not suggesting that you go buy tools if your business can't afford it. But These are examples of some of the tools that we have okay. and that some of our other clients use to include Inventory Lab, mm-hmm. a repricer, if you're using a repricer, mm-hmm. a VA, Okay, make sure you're including your VA expenses if you're using Mm -hmm. them. If you have other subscriptions to like Replen Dashboard, Mm -hmm. make sure you account for your Keepa subscription as well. And you can do this, you can break, you know, like attribute this to a month, even though you may, you were paying for the year if you get the annual subscription. Divide it out. Same thing with all these tools. You might want to talk to your accountant about Mm -hmm. how to, how to do that. Um, If you're using an on-page calculator like Seller, uh, like AZ Insight or RevSeller, Either mm-hmm. one of those or seller amp or mm-hmm. you know, whatever the latest and greatest is there. And if you're <laughs> They're using all pretty comparable a tool like seller board, that's also another uh thing that I would put into my uh business level expense, not an ASIN level expense. Right. Love seller board, by the way. Yes. Dig into that every day. Yes. Um, and then some other high-level expenses, your legal expenses if you subscribe to Jeff Schick or or other. Your insurance expenses. Mm-hmm. So you should have insurance when you start your business. You are required to prove it to Amazon when you break five 10, figures. 000, yeah, I think 10,000 is when they ask you for yep. it. Yep. Of course, I could change it any time yep. as well. And then if you subscribe to any leads lists, you want to include those in your uh, business sure. expenses as well. Mm-hmm. So, And there may be others. And there may be other things that are a part of your business. Could be rent on your warehouse. You sure. know, could, any uh, additional subcontractors who are doing work for you, mm-hmm. you know, all these things are your business level expense. So you take the gross profit from your all of your ASINs, mm-hmm. pay your business level expenses, and what's left is your net profit. Right. Okay. Work with your accountant, CPA, bookkeeping professional to make sure you've got a good handle on this stuff. So the reason we bring that up though mm-hmm. is because. If we're saying 20% ROI, which is where we usually start people who are building their building their replans list, mm-hmm. because they don't have a whole lot of a whole lot of number of items being sold mm-hmm. because they're just starting out. They don't have a whole list of ASINs to replenish. Mm-hmm. They need to get about 20% ROI to cover some of those initial uh monthly bills, right? So 20% ROI. Over the course of six to nine times a year, six to nine times a year, that's a pretty good return on investment. Mm -hmm. I don't know of any investment that's better than that. Not your normal passive investment. No, no, definitely not. And I don't know of any that cover expenses right away. Usually those are right out of the Mm -hmm. pocket and they may be for your first month or two, but very quickly you can start covering those expenses if you start sending in those those tests and building that replans list. Mm-hmm. So it's really a good deal. 
And we, we want you to try to cover your expenses as well, which is why we don't recommend that you go too deep into these other tools or, or even some of these that we've mentioned until, until you're ready. Until the business can support it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's no sense in having a, a big negative number at the end of your month. Right. Right. But that's kind of the beauty of this business is when you're doing a replens business, one of the reasons we call it low risk, low investment and high chance for success. And it, it it's a chance for quick success as well, comparatively speaking. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons we say that is because you don't need a whole lot of tools to get it started and you can grow with your business as far as these things, you know, tools and people to help you out and different services that you can use. You can grow with your business and only add those when you want them, when you need them, when your business can support them. Mm-hmm. That's one of the great things about the uh, replens model. I love it. Well, yeah, it's yeah. The low, low, high obviously works really well. And it, in spite of all the different ASIN level expenses and the mm-hmm. business level expenses that we were talking about, these are actually the problems to have. Right. Uh, you want to have a business where you are calculating your gross profit and calculating your net profit exactly. versus a well business said. where you don't know where you have nothing to calculate. I agree. Right. And agree. when we say 20%, that's the bare minimum. What we find uh, at is an that ASIN level. at an ASIN level is that uh, most people are averaging 40, 50, 60% ROI yes. on their entire book of business. Yes. Okay. 20. And you will, as you're looking at, for those that are at least 20%, you'll find many that are 30, 40, 50% potential. Because guess what happens in the beginning? We've talked about this. Everything must be hard before it can become easy. Yes, we have. Um, You are in learning mode. And so you don't Mm -hmm. necessarily understand all aspects of things. And that's okay. You can get in. When you're in the game, then you you learn much better. Right. Uh, You don't have to know everything in order to get in the game. It brings clarity. and The action brings clarity, which brings confidence. Yes. And one of the things (laughs) I I was going to say. (laughs) Excuse me. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Anyway, I'm not getting any points. Uh, 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 we watched back. We watched back the uh, the last one that we recorded, uh-huh. and I realized that I said when we were young and in love, and you said I'm still young. All I heard was I'm still young, and I kept talking. Then when I watched it back, I realized he said I'm still young, and I'm still falling in love. Oh, uh-huh. <laughs> so everybody started uh, making notes of that. So excuse me for cutting you off. I did it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, no, the point there is uh, just these are, you know, these are good problems to have. Mm-hmm. And when we say 20%, that's the minimum. Um, usually uh, your gross profit numbers will more than cover your uh, business expenses and you'll mm-hmm. come out, even if you were only making 20% in this 10 to 15% net. Right. And oh, yeah, here's where I was going with this. <laughs> you learn, you get better. Yeah, maybe your first two, three, you know, weeks, four weeks are like, um, I think, you know, I'm taking, I'm just going on the three-step check, which is really all you need to do. And then things get to clear for you as you're in the game and you build this clarity. And now, and now you have confidence. Once you get momentum on your side, mm-hmm. then, and you believe that you can find 20% deals left and right, because you can, mm-hmm. then you start finding 50% deals left and right. And you mm-hmm. start finding 100% deals left and right. Yeah. But you have to make the bar, you have to put the bar low enough for your mind to believe that you can do this mm-hmm. and in, then in the beginning raise. and then raise it as you go. And actually it just raises automatically. It raises it normally right. as, a, as a normal course of action, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. It absolutely does. Anything else on those uh, expenses? No, I think that that was uh, pretty well explained. Okay. Thank you, Brian. 
Good. You know, I'm, I'm on this kick lately where I like to get quotes, famous quotes, and apply them to our business. Mm-hmm. And I think this is very useful when just getting a different perspective on things. And I shared a different perspective uh, with you on something last night. And as, even as I was saying it, I knew it, but just saying it in a different you know, a different way from a different place, from a different place. It meant something completely different to me. Mm -hmm. And so here's the quote today from Babe Ruth. It's hard to be the person who never gives up. Love this, right? You are not a failure until you quit. And so you're not going to beat me. Don't quit. Cause I'm not, I'm not giving up. I'm not going to give up. You shouldn't give up either. (laughs) Yep. You know what you want. Don't give up. You know what solves that problem? More ASINs. More ASINs. Go test. Let's go get some more ASINs. Test, test, test. All right. All right. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hey, so thanks for hanging out with us today on Silent Sales Machine Radio. Before I let you go, I've got my good friend, Jeff Schick, hanging out. He's our policy and legal expert, all things Amazon, and he's always involved in some interesting situations with sellers, many of whom are from our community who use his services that got him on retainer. And we'll stick a link in the show notes to jeffschick.com for more info. But what do you have for us today, Jeff? Oh, we have an interesting case uh, hot off the press, um, and it's actually a real case, so real legal case. So it's just a you know a nice reminder for sellers when you receive cease and desist letters, they they can be serious. So depending on the brand, you know some brands will engage in litigation. So it's always a good reminder that you want to you know, review those letters, make sure you understand what your risk is, and then and act appropriately. So of course, you know I think a lot of people that I talk to on the phone, I'm always you know, they hear this phrase constantly, you know, risk benefit analysis. And that means does the, do the benefits of selling this item outweigh your risk? Um, and so it's just a, a nice, you know, just a reminder for sellers that, you know, a lot of people will have this thing where they'll say, oh, you got a cease and desist letter. That, that, that's great for starting a fire. Well, maybe it's good for starting a fire, but that should only be after you've read it and talk to somebody who understands it to know what your legal exposure is, because some of them are baseless. And some of them have real risk, and it usually comes down to how much you're selling. Because, you know, if you're just a you know three to five off seller, probably lower risk. If you're a several hundred unit seller, then your risk is much higher. So you just don't want to you know blindly throw them in the trash just because someone on Facebook says, "Hey, that's great burning material," and no, they don't ever sue anybody. Because especially you don't want to be that person that says, "Guess what? Yes, they do." And here's my check that I wrote to prove it. So it's just a, a nice reminder for sellers. Just to you know, read the letters, talk to a you know, trusted attorney about it, figure out your risk, and then act appropriately when you receive them. Yeah, a great reason to have you on retainer. And and let's just talk about that that risk exposure for a moment. Because from my vantage point, we have a lot of people succeeding, a lot of people doing the resale model, the wholesale model at scale. Very exciting future. Amazon seems to be very pro that model based on, com- based on conversations I'm having. But some okay. brands do push back. So what is my legal exposure in all reality. You said, you know, if you're selling hundreds of units of something, that's a little more exposure if they come and they're grumpy. But realistically, are people losing more than they've put into uh, an ASIN in many cases that you've seen? In most cases, I would say, you know, the answer is usually brands want to settle these cases quickly because they don't want to, they don't want to spend money on litigation, just like you don't want to spend it. And while it's great to think that you might be the martyr that's, you know, holds up the first sale doctrine, the second an attorney, you know, you go to a litigating attorney and you have your, you know, they'll usually give you a free consultation with a litigator because they know that the next conversation is going to be, hey, how do you want to pay this $20,000 retainer? 
<laughs> then you, you rethink really quickly, do I want to go forward and be that martyr? And the answer is usually no, um, because the settlement offers that come in from the brands are usually less than that. Um, and so you, you know, and so people just have to make that decision. Now, the good news is, is typically settlements when, it, you know, we worked on lawsuits almost every month this, this year so far, the settlements usually are less than the profit that the seller has made, or they're right around of what the profit has been for the seller. So you walk away with a little bit of something or a little bit of, or basically nothing, little bit of loss, not a huge, you know, you're not mortgaging your house in most cases. Um, or I should say in any case we've seen so far, everyone's been able to afford the settlements. Uh, the only exception to that is sales of counterfeit products. So if you are sued for selling counterfeit products and you did sell counterfeit products, or if the products you sold come from a bad source that you can't prove authenticity, like for instance, we had a seller accused of selling counterfeit products. The brand did a test buy. They said that the seller was selling counterfeit products. And when we asked for the proof of purchase, it was all eBay receipts from oh, other oh. random sources. Yes. There's no way to prove that their products were authentic. And so unfortunately, that seller paid many multiples of what they'd made in profit because they had sold, you know, dozens of count of assumed counterfeit units. And once you've sold the item and shipped it, you have no way to call the customer and say, Hey, I think it might be counterfeit. Send it to me for text. You know, you can't do that. So you just every, you know, the brand had a, had a unit that was definitely counterfeit. There was no receipts to back up authenticity for any of the dozens of units sold. And so unfortunately that meant time to open the bank account and, and pay out and make it go away. But that's really the exception to the rule, because as you can tell, that case has very different facts than, you know, the typical arbitrage seller who's going and buying, you know, a bunch of products at Home Depot, Home Depot, Walmart, Kroger, Publix, they don't sell counterfeit stuff. I mean, to stuff you sift through the cracks, I mean, maybe one in a million, but not really. I mean, you know, like they've got very strict controls. Yeah, they're so, authorized distributors. If you called the brand yeah. and said, hey, I just bought some of your product at website X or retailer Y, they say, yeah, of course, they're an authorized distributor, right? right. Or exactly. a wholesaler or just, you know, first level distributor. Maybe we should talk about that a little bit because I know some people who are getting excited about um, these kind of these opportunity aggregators and like, hey, there's a, we supply opportunities to Amazon sellers and they go and buy a bunch of product, but the invoice doesn't have my name on it when I buy from them. It has their name on it. Right. That's exposure, so right? Absolutely. In fact, we should talk about that next week because then we can do a, another another That's segment a whole on topic. It. All right. Well, it is. So, yeah. Next week we'll dive into that one a little deeper. But be cautious. You know, if you're getting an invoice, yeah. it better have your name on it. If yes, if it goes from a from the manufacturer distributor, it better have your name on it. We'll dive into that next week because there's a couple cautionary tales you can share with us there. Well, I do I have a lot of stories from the last, like I'd say, probably two weeks coming from that. So it's kind of interesting. So definitely want to talk about it for sure. Yeah, because I, I like Jeff that you you have a, a nice array of real stories from sellers. Now there's tens of thousands of people doing this business model, but at any given time, that handful of cases that you're taking on and the things you're seeing kind of tells us where the ships are sailing. You know, what direction are we heading here? So I appreciate right. your insights into helping us stay safe and and uh, I love the lessons today. So you know what I'm hearing is especially with the replans model, where I'm never going more than a few units deep on anything. Typically, you know, there's exceptions to everything potentially in the future, but typically my worst case scenario is, hey, if they come along and say, wait a second, the brand's grumpy, I don't want to have to defend myself in court, the settlement's probably going to be about the profit that I made on that ASIN. Typical case, that's what you're seeing here as a worst case scenario. Not that that's 
everything that could happen in the future, but so far that's what we're seeing. Because Amazon does like third-party sellers selling, keeping their shelves full. They're going to defend this as best they can, but these grumpy brands, when they push back hard, um, and you know, is there any way, maybe this is a good way to end this episode today, is there a good way to avoid those brands? What are some of your favorite ways that you would tell sellers to avoid those brands? I know I say if it, if you see the seller count drop to one on Keepa suddenly yeah. or frequently, that's a sign. Maybe that's a grumpy brand. You know, check their other ASINs and see if it's happening simultaneously for that brand on, other, on their other ASINs. And there's some tools that help alert you to, hey, this brand seems to generate a lot of IP complaints. Right. Besides that and what you've already told us, is there anything else that you would say to to do to be cautious about the brands that you're choosing? So I'd say the, I mean, the only downside with cease and desist letters, for instance, and and like the lawsuits that have happened is that so far we've not seen, we've, we've only seen a handful of lawsuits that weren't, you know, preceded by a cease and desist letter. So you had that notice that there's a cease, like cease and desist letter, usually multiple, like some people reported receiving seven to 10 cease and desist letters. Some people received just one. It's, so there's no magic number. But usually there's some notice. And so that's why I always tell people, talk with an attorney first when you receive that letter. You know, for instance, there's a law firm in Chicago that when we see their letters, we we know that they're going to file a lawsuit as the next step because they only send one. It's a warning shot. And then they just go to court because they realize that it's more cost effective to use the stock template of a lawsuit that they use just over and over again and pay the $500 filing fee and have a sheriff show up at your door. And then say, welcome to Chicago district court. That's their, their thing. So when we see those letters, we tell our clients, Hey, hold on, put on the brakes, probably not worth it, you know, but great news is we can work with that law firm. They will give you time to sell through your products, make this go there. So you don't end up in court. It's better to sell off your units and stop selling than to get sued. And you're going to be forced to stop selling anyway. As long as you don't just ignore these letters entirely as your strategy, right. there's multiple ways to mitigate this risk. Exactly. And like, there's a law, law, another law firm we know that files IP claims. So when we see letters from him, I immediately tell sellers, hey, guess what? Unfortunately, he files IP claims on Amazon because it comes from a lawyer. Amazon tends to suspend people while they investigate because they just, you know, it came from a law firm. There's, they just, they don't want to mess around with it just in case there's something real. So we always give sellers that, that insight. So, and then of course there's the infamous, you know, letter writers that send tons of letters out, but they do occasionally sue. So we just have to watch out for it. We now, you know, we've been building a little database internally of the brands that do sue and so forth. And, you know, we've got that working relationship with them. So, you know, rely on us, at least if you're one of our clients, you know, when you get the letters, talk to me, talk to Lewis and let us, you know, work, work through it with you. And give you advice. Yeah. So you really can minimize your risk if if you cooperate with and have on retainer for a few dollars a month, someone like you, and just bounce it all off of you. And you're going to say, hey, you know, probably worth selling out of what you got. Let's move away from that brand. And that's the beauty of so many people who are in the replans model is we're finding new ASINs constantly. If we have to drop a few, we move on with our, with our life and we minimize our risks that way. Oh, exactly. Excellent. Well, really good advice. Can't wait to have you back next week. We'll dive a little more Thank into you. making sure that uh, the inventory you're getting your hands on isn't going to get you into trouble as a good yep. next topic. But always good seeing you. JeffShick.com is the website. Get him on retainer. That's who we use. Some of the leaders on our team are using his services as well. And uh, we'll have you back again next time. All right, Jeff? Thank you. Sounds good. Thanks, buddy. Talk to you then. Bye. Thank you for listening to Silent Sales Machine Radio. Visit SilentJim.com for a link to our free newsletter, our free Facebook group, and all of our resources mentioned on today's show.